Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. The Holy Gospel, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to Luke. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons from performing, performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Times after events like what happened in New Zealand and the destruction in the plain states that we have seen, it can be somewhat difficult at times to preach, but sometimes the Gospels and the readings and the lectionary come to us as balm for a hurting soul. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, is crying out literally in pain for the ways in which the world is destructive against itself. He says at the end, the ways of the world are ways of destruction that will fall upon itself because their God is the God of the belly. That they glory in the ways in which they misuse the ways of the world, in which the ways in which they punish one another, that they are set upon earthly things. But he says, we are citizens in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is already setting up this idea that if we really want to be followers of Jesus, that we have to be willing to live in a different way than the world lives. If the world's ways lead to destruction, then the ways of Christ have to be life-giving and loving. It means that we have to be willing to take on practices that the world may find strange but that the gospel calls faithful. Paul tells us that there will be a day in which God will transform our humiliation into the body of glory. And sometimes we need to realize and hope for this future transformation. While we await in the world and joining Paul in our tears for the brokenness of the world around us. He says, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. What does it mean to stand firm? I think a lot of times we sort of misuse Paul. Either we pull out the parts that uh, either seem to demean uh, women or, or other groups of people, and so we dismiss Paul altogether. 
Or we just use his phrases as sort of things that we can stitch on our clothing or maybe get tattooed on our skin. As though Paul's letters were really ways of encouraging ourselves in our athletic pursuits. But Paul's call to stand firm is something that is rooted deeply in the tradition of God's people. The psalm that we heard a few moments ago was a call to stand firm in the trust of God. Abraham, the story that we hear in the Old Testament, is another story calling for us to stand firm and trust in God. Remember the story, Abraham and his wife Sarah have been promised descendants even though they're in their old age. Abraham's waiting and the child has not come yet and so Abraham says, you know, I'm going to help God along. Which is what all good faithful people do is just assume God hasn't acted yet. And so, so Abraham sleeps with his slave woman. And she bears a son and then Abraham's upset. Right? I mean, you know, here you, God didn't tell you to go sleep with the slave woman. You chose to do it yourself and now you're mad at God because the person you slept with is pregnant. God said to Abraham, I told you, I promised you. You can trust in me. Go outside. Look at the heaven. Count the stars if you're able to count that high. And that is the number that your descendants will be. Trust me. Abraham, it says, believed in the Lord and the Lord reckoned to Abraham righteousness. In essence, God says, let me remind you what I am going to do. Let's be honest that sometimes we need to be reminded of the goodness and the faithfulness of God because sometimes in our doubts and our struggles can bear us down that we cannot firmly believe that we can trust in God. That sometimes things happen to us or to the world around us and we're left asking the question of why. James Cone, in his landmark book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, talks about how <clears throat> suffering can oftentimes lead us to question whether or not we can trust in God. He says, suffering naturally gives rise to doubt. How can one believe in God in the face of horrendous suffering, of slavery, segregation, the lynching tree? And I think he would be fair to say that he would add the, the slaughter of people who are coming for worship. He says, under these circumstances, doubt is not a denial, but an integral part of faith. It keeps faith from being sure of itself. It keeps faith from being sure of itself. Faith is not an inoculation against things happening to us. Faith is a trust that no matter what happens to us, that God is bigger than the sores that the world puts on us. Faith does not prevent us, as Paul does, to weep for a world that is broken, but rather knows that the weeping will end and God will wipe away every tear. That doubt will not have the final word, as Cone says, that the final word is faith giving rise to hope. But if you are like me, sometimes when we have doubts, or we have questions, or we are unsure about our faith, we begin to feel guilt and shame. Right? I mean, I mean, if we're faithful and we've told that we say that we believe these things, shouldn't we always be sure of our faith? Sociologists say that the top reason that people quit going to church is, is because they have doubts and they don't feel like church is a safe place 
to wrestle with their doubts. Let me say that again. That church is not a safe place to wrestle with their doubts. Now, if you can't wrestle with your doubts here, if you cannot ask God the big questions here, where are you going to do it? Out there, as Paul says, the world looks out for itself. It's God is their belly. It's shame is their glory. You're not going to get your questions answered out there. This should be a place of safety to sit there and say, I'm not sure. I was visiting with a friend of mine who pastors in an evangelical church in town. We were talking about this passage, and he says that this issue of wrestling with doubt is a real problem for his people because he says they're not allowed to have doubts. And if they do, they're offered scriptures which just seem to shame them even more. I said, well, we have the opposite problem. People come to us with doubts, and we don't offer them anything to believe in. The Lord reckoned Abraham in righteousness in the Old Testament story, and it means that Abraham received something that he did not deserve. It wasn't because Abraham had it all figured out. It was because God is bigger than Abraham's doubts. Yes, Abraham screwed it up. Abraham was helping God along. Abraham was trying to force something to happen, but God was still faithful. Abraham wanted to know, how can I trust God? And I think all of us, if we're honest, at time to time, ask that very question. God and Abraham performed this ancient covenant in which they would slice an animal in half and the two kings would walk through the sliced animal. And it was a way of saying to the people who had made a covenant with each other, if you fail, if you break this covenant, this same thing will happen to you. You'll be sliced in half. But it is God in this story who walks through and makes the covenant to be faithful. That it is not us, and it's not up to us in order to make sure that we are faithful to the covenant, but that God is constantly faithful. And into this, Abraham falls into this deep sleep, and he has a terrifying darkness that comes on him. I don't know if this is what mystics would call the dark night of the soul. The great mystical writer Ruth Burroughs says that the faith life is a series of purgation, illumination, and joy. In other words, what happens is, is that we begin to deconstruct the faith that we have been given and we come to a greater awareness and understanding of who we are and who God is and we experience joy. Now we would like for our lives to remain in that joy, but the reality is, is that we will not remain in joy. And that sometimes we have to go, not sometimes, we will go back through this process of deconstructing, coming to a greater awareness, and having joy. I just want to say a couple of things about this idea of deconstruction. One, it's okay for it to happen. Deconstruction is an important part of faith and growth, but it is not something to be peddled. There are people out there who are making their spiritual lives selling deconstruction because it's hip, it's true, but they never offer people a way out of the deconstruction because their little niche market is continuing to bring up those questions. So having a church that has faith and tradition is important. Richard War talks about tradition as sort of like a pen in a, in a pasture 
right? The tradition allows us to walk around in that pasture and the, the gates kind of keep us in so that we know that when we have gotten too far. It allows us to ask the deep questions of life without getting completely lost. That in these times of deconstruction, it is why it is so important that we have spiritual practices and it's why I appreciate the prayer tradition of the church, there are times in which I don't have the words to pray. I don't know what it is I'm supposed to say. And there's times I don't even want to say anything to God. But I have a prayer tradition that gives me those words in the times in which I don't know what to say. And finally is that this process of deconstruction can challenge both our emotional and our spiritual health. And so it's really important that in these times that you have a counselor that you can talk to, that you have a spiritual advisor, someone that you trust, me, somebody else in this community to say, hey, I'm really wrestling. And hopefully the answer is that's okay. I wrestle from time to time too. Brene Brown says that faith is not unicorns and rainbows, but Faith is more like a midwife who, in the moments of our pain, just simply says, push. I wish that I could say that life was always easy and that we could always understand why things happen, but we don't. But what I do know is, is that I can trust that God can redeem anything that we will do. That God's goodness is greater than my ability to screw things up. That at times faith can be painful, but the end, the joy, is worth it. So during this Lenten season in which we are called to take up our cross and to follow Christ, may this be a time in which you draw closer to God. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org and peace be with you.